For 35 years, Frank Bucaro has been working on a business, talking to businesses about business ethics and how to work through values, morals, and ethics, which prior to this conversation, I think I may have conflated as being very similar, the same things. Yeah, absolutely. Frank is a values-based leadership speaker and consultant, works with executives on not only how to implement these ethical behaviors within their organization, but also how to prevent situations from happening. A lot of times in the workplace, there's a lot of emotions, a lot of people that are dealing with different things, whether it be in their personal life or in their business life. In this episode, we talk about ways to defuse those bombs and make decisions more logically. Not only is it theoretically interesting, but there are real tangible takeaways that the average entrepreneur can use today. Here's Frank Beccaro. Hey, are you looking for a rewarding and profitable entrepreneurial opportunity? Consider owning a Serta Pro painting franchise with a startup cost of $250,000 and an average franchise revenue of $1.8 million. Serta Pro is a low-risk, high-reward investment. As a Serta Pro franchise owner, you'll receive extensive training and ongoing support and have access to proven business models that have been successful for over three decades. Plus, you'll work with a team of highly dedicated professionals who are passionate about helping homeowners transform their spaces. Visit certapro.com slash franchise to learn more about this exciting opportunity and start your journey towards financial success today. Frank, welcome to the Entrepreneurs United podcast. We're happy to have you today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Kick us off with something hot, something that you do that's just going to be absolutely attention-grabbing for the listeners that they're going to go, you know what, I want to keep listening to what Frank has to say. Talk to us about what you do and make it as hot as you can. Okay, my field is business ethics and value-based leadership development. This is my, in August, my 35th year full-time speaking, training, consulting on, on those topics. What gives me the ammunition, if you will, I'll just give a, you a couple of sources just in the last two weeks of, of like articles. Accounting giant Ernst & Young admits its employees cheated on ethics exams. They were fined $100 million for their employees cheating. The Gallup new article, Why Trust in Leaders is Faltering and How to Gain It Back. How Ethical Business Practices Can Improve Your Profitability. So we're looking at ethics in almost a different, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, but it's more of a mindset. You have to have an ethics mindset and then worry about a skill set. And so my focus is to set your mind, so to speak. And so how I started this was before I got into the speaking business, I taught theology for 16 years and then decided to de-theologize my training <laughs> and go into ethics. And it was an interesting time. It was, this was in the early 90s that being an academic didn't have a market. So I decided to niche the topic. So for 35 years, I've been in almost every industry, manufacturing, insurance, banking, real estate, 
uh, known as the ethics guide, so to speak, of customizing the message to make it relevant in the hero's experience. So it's always, my goal has always been to set your mind, then we'll give you the skill set. So far, what I found in my 30, 35 years now plus, people are worrying about their skills, but they don't have the foundation. They don't have the basis. And so the basis for me is you have to, it's like a three-legged stool. You have to have values, you have to have morals, and then you have ethics. If any one of those legs is missing, you don't have a stool. It's non-functional. And so sometimes people give me a kickback about morals. And when I talk about morals, it's about principles. Honesty, fairness, respectfulness, compassion, etc. And if we look at one's values and morals, those are the mindset. Ethics is the behavior. That's what people judge is people's behavior, whether they're behaving ethically or not, and whatever their definition of ethics is, which also can cause some issues. So that's the foundation of where I've come from, where I am, from my articles, other books, online stuff now with the pandemic, having to make a shift and things like that. But it's more of me providing challenging content, and then how do you practically apply it? In the workplace. Excellent. So over the course of 35 years, how has ethics and morals and values evolved? Because to me, being a lay person on the topic, I look at it and go, has this really evolved over the last 35 years? Isn't it still tell the truth, do what you say you're going to do, care for others as you would care for yourself? And everybody should do that. Businesses should support people doing that. End of story. Like, how has it evolved to become more than that? Why is there even a business that exists in this space? I think greed <laughs> is one of the opposites of a lot of it. Watch the news tonight. How many unethical situations do you find? It could be from immigration to leadership development to what's going on in congress where is you know and then i found somebody on the news that is an ethical lawyer i thought is this an oxymoron or what are we dealing with here i'm not sure how that works so my goal is to partner with the vp of compliance let me take this burden off your shoulders for ethics you do what you're trained to do and let me do what I'm trained to do. And so it's how we blend compliance, which is only reactive, just by the word. Compliance is a reactive because it's the law. It's already done. You got to do it. Ethics is proactive. It must be chosen. And so the one thing I've been fighting throughout the years is there's no such thing as an ethics and compliance officer. You cannot be an expert in both. Pick one and then find someone for the other one. So I think people confuse, I think maybe even in the definitions of what ethics might be. So here's the one that I use. Ethics is a tough decision with the payout at the end. And an unethical decision is an easy one and the payout's up front. 
To be ethical is to agonize, to and I mean that in a positive way. You have to think this stuff through, logic, reasoning, on how it will apply to your people, to your customers, your shareholders, etc. And that's what takes the time to be proactive to do that. And then I come up with little cutesy things like one of the things people need to remember before they make a decision is what will be your PTP factor? What is your price to pay for what you're going to do? And if you can't pay, you better walk away because what goes around comes around one way or another. And I always ask my client, so what's your PTP factor? What happens if you don't do this? What would an ethics violation cost your company? It could be millions. And this is this investment here is really cheap, isn't it? <laughs> to get everybody on the same wavelength. So it's been an interesting ride looking at things. And if we go back to that stool analogy, you no know, values, morals, and ethics, we, companies need to work on all three. You know, right. And, I have a question just sure. to make sure I understand it correctly, because part of what I think happens a lot in society and in business is people have different values to begin with. And so if values are and morals are more principle-based and ethics are what you actually do, can you give me like very quickly in your mind the difference between values, morals, and ethics and how they tie? Sure. I can go into a company and see their values already printed on a piece of paper on the walls or whatever, but I found it almost every time employees can't remember them. <laughs> they okay. don't know problem number one. You can't do anything about people's personal values, only they can do it. So it could be religious values, political values, economic values, family values. Those are already ingrained and they've accepted or not and have chosen what those values are. That's the individual coming into the workplace. Morals now are principles. And so like service, being trustworthy, honest, other person focused, those have to be modeled in the workplace by whoever the leader is and what division or department or whatever you call it, models that for their people to see the positive impact of what those values are. And then the only way to find the impact of those values and those morals is in the behavior. So how do we judge if something is ethical or not? What's the cause and effect? What's the price to pay? What might be the consequences? To me, it's like throwing a rock in a pond. No matter how big or how small the rock is or the decision, you throw that rock, there's going to be consequences. There's going to be ripples. When's the best time to think about the rock before you throw it or after it about what the ripples might be? Yeah, always and before. Then, <laughs> yeah. And then be open to a ripple you didn't count on that now you're responsible for. Now you fall back on your morals and your values to make it right or further explain or take it to the next level, whatever. So mm -hmm. I use those kind of analogies to bring it home. And when you're not sure, oh, hold the rock, hold it till you're ready to throw it, leader, and then get ready for consequences, positive and or negative. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, it does. Rich, I don't know if this comes to mind for you, but the first part of this conversation reminds me of a prior guest we had who wrote a book. His name is Randy Soma. And his book was called Leader Shit. <laughs> and a lot of it had to do with ethics in corporate America and in business, where the reality is the easy decisions with the instant gratification is always easier to make because you're rewarded up front mm -hmm. and you can keep somehow that reward going and going in some cases, keep your job versus not making the right decision and finding yourself on the sidewalk with a box. Cause you got canned because you didn't make the decision that was going to get your stock price to grow or something of that nature. And we weren't able to solve the question. And, and the question at the end of our conversation was how does this get fixed? Because you, Rich, and I can talk all day long about the problems. Let's go turn on the news tonight, and we're going to see ethics problems and moral problems and values problems. We're going to see all these problems. But no one has yet to present a solution that I can adequately digest and go, yep, that's the solution. We can talk about it, but what's the solution to this problem? The audience for me are usually the VPs on up. So okay. I'm talking to those who are in charge of people along the way, down to, at times, mid-level management. That's the most dangerous level, mid-level management, because they got their people coming to them, and if they're not trained, they're not giving them the right information, their values, or whatever. So it goes from mid-level all the way to, I've done boards of directors on how we make this relevant, because your income depends on it. Trust is a basic thing. People want to trust their doctors. They want to trust their lawyers. They want to trust the teachers. They want to trust the nurses, et cetera. And yet you look in some of these, look at healthcare. How many nurses are on strike? How many nurses because of the stress, because of not good leadership, because of, I've had it. Look at teachers. There's a teacher shortage in our country today, not being paid well, overworked. What, where are the values? What's important? What can we give them? And then they're being told what not to teach by politicians or what is allowable. So there's a lot of different puzzle pieces to this that people have to deal with. And the role of leaders is to study it, analyze it, come up with a plan, get people's input. I call that communal wisdom. And then say, can we all agree? Let's say that we're going to do this for the next quarter. And then we'll reevaluate. Does that sound fair to everyone? Oh, yeah, we can do that for three months. Done. Let's do it. Let's focus on this value for the next two weeks, this value in addition, two weeks later. And let's see what that does to the patient, the customer, the coworker that I'm working with. Because if you're going to spend 76,900 hours of your life at work, shouldn't you do something you enjoy? Frank, I think the average person who hears your message around values and morals and ethics, I think it's a very quick period of time from when you start talking to where they say, yep, that's a good thing. We should do that. I feel like I want to ground these ideas in reality. I feel like most of the conversation has been about the theory and the importance of it. I'm happy to give you an example. If you have a better example, please use it. But here's an example. I think behavior evolves to become unethical. I don't think the average person 
wakes up one day and says, I'm going to steal from my neighbor today. That's not how it works. As an example, if I'm a salesperson and I'm selling a home services widget and I go into someone's house and the price is typically $100 and I see this particular family is really struggling and they could really use what I'm selling and I have the ability to discount it and I do then and I sell it to them at $85. And then the next family I go into, that family doesn't appear to be struggling the same way. So I choose to not discount it. Is that unethical? Because I could have discounted both families to be the same. And then I think this starts to become the slippery slope, right? Because then you go, oh, in family number two, they were showing signs of being really wealthy. And I'm able to charge them $115. So I'm going to charge them because we can charge what the market will bear. They're willing to pay it. So now I'm charging some of my clients $115 for that. And I'm charging some $85 for it. And then it goes on and up. But it started with a very, you might even say, ethical behavior of saying, I want to care for this family, they're in need. And then somehow this spins out into becoming something that it was never meant to be, where I charge some people 115 and others 85. And it's all based on my discretion. And now somebody throws a flag and says, that's not ethical, you should charge everybody the same price. I feel like it's very easy to slide into that. There's so much gray area in this. How does a company navigate this gray area? I think in your example, I think it is perfectly okay if someone's hurting financially but needs the part to sell it cheaper, but I would never sell it for more than the $100 to anybody else. It's an example. If you make an exception, there's got to be a good reason for it but to charge more there's no good reason for it if we live in a capitalistic society that says charge what the market will bear if apple sold me this pen for 99 dollars, do you know why they didn't charge me 150 because they found out the market wouldn't pay 150 they're charging as much as they can when the market can bear it the reason they're not selling it for 80 dollars is because people are willing to spend 100 on it So how is that an ethical line to say, charge what the market will bear? Here's a customer who has a bunch of money who will never miss the extra $15. They won't complain about it. We're in a capitalistic society. I'm going to charge them $115. How is that unethical? I think you can, what's the word I'm looking for? Justify anything that you want to justify but it doesn't make it right and it doesn't make it wrong. That's fair. The point is, what is the greater good here? People don't think about the greater good because it involves sacrifice sometimes for, I think, some good reasons. Now, I'll give you a perfect example. My car mechanic here, 
he is booked two months in advance. Guys, honest as the day is long. I take my car and I said, Mike, there's something wrong with the pedal. It turns off the car. And he comes back and he says, Frank, I looked at it and it's going to cost you. The module is only going to be 75 bucks and, and I'll put it in for free, but I can't get to it for the next five days. I said, fine, do it. I just asked him about tires last night. I need tires. Every And he's so booked because the guy's so honest. He doesn't go above and beyond because he can charge it. He has his own set percentage rate, and everybody knows it about for his mechanic, which he has no employee turnover, by the way, because he pays them fair wages based on the market and all the inventory and things like that. There's no doubt everybody goes to Mike in my town, who's a great so mechanic, and will give you an honest up, deal. I picked up something from that. Help me with this. Is this a good litmus test? If you can tell someone what you're doing, then that's a line of ethics. So I could tell that family, hey, I could see you're really struggling and you could really use this. I normally charge 100, so I'm going to charge 85. And I can bring that forward. I could be really honest. I could be transparent. There's nothing to hide. Versus in the other scenario, I'm not going to say to the customer, hey, it looks like you got a lot of nice things around here. And it looks like you could afford paying more. Every now and then I actually give discounts, uh, but I have to make that up by charging more in other places, and you're one of them, so I'm going to charge you 115 I would never do yeah. that. So is that a good litmus test for entrepreneurs? If you can do what you're doing with people instead of two people, there's a line there. And the line is how you build relationships on what basis. What's the foundation of this relationship? What's the foundation of me going into a company and going to a division and working with their people on respect in the workplace? Not only for the people that work with you, but for you. And what will be the end result if you do this with some of the ideas I'm about to share with you? I've in my business, unethical companies don't hire me. <laughs> That's simple. They, so I'm always preaching to the choir. It's just, how do we take it to the next level? Yeah. You know, that's why everything I try to teach is practical and application. If you can't use it, why teach it? Frank, my, the, my favorite business book, one of my favorite business books of all time, is Stephen Covey Jr.'s The Speed of Trust. And what we're now talking about is how ethics can help you grow your business. Because in Rich's example, when customer found out they paid $115 when they should have paid $100, they're never calling you again. And there was a lack of the trust. They're telling other people don't go there. Exactly. Yeah, you tell one person does something well, they'll tell one person. One person bad, they'll tell 100. And in your example of the car mechanic, that speed of trust is so strong, right? And that formula that you talk about, uh, or the formula speed of trust talks about, I should say, that the speed increases the higher your trust is, right? And the cost goes down to do things. And I'm sure your mechanic spends zero in marketing dollars. They don't have any zero. cost to get clients because they just keep coming through the door because that trust level is so high and they can keep growing their business. Same thing with, obviously, that mechanic has the same thing with his employees, speed of trust. It, it, it seems to me that one of the areas that Rich has uncovered that relates to this and maybe 
one way to start preaching to the people that aren't in the choir is, hey, let us help you grow your business via speed of trust. And speed of trust starts with ethics and morals and values. Yeah. But transparency seems to be at the key of it. Yeah. To Rich's example, if I can't be very transparent with everybody on exactly how we're doing what we're doing, then it's probably not ethical. Yeah. Is that yeah. a good and, and for, way to look for at it? For whatever reason, you don't want to hurt their feelings. You want to do business with them again. You can justify anything if you think about it long enough. Yeah. You know, in your own mind. Whether it's, but here's the other th key thing. And think about this. How much training have you and I ever had in emotional self-control? I've had a little bit, I mean, but yeah, not enough. There's only five emotions. Sad, mad, glad, scared, and hurt. That's it. Sad, mad, glad, scared, and hurt. When emotions get involved, ethics takes a hit nine times yep. out of ten. The advice I give to my clients. If that ever happens to you in a meeting or whatever, just say this. You could be right. Let's get a cup of coffee and let's come back and think about it. It diffuses it immediately. Because they're waiting for an argument. Don't give it to them. Because you know they're wrong. We just need time to calm down in order to talk about the issue using logic. Ethics is logic. Emotions destroys it. When we let, and people don't, and people take grudges to the workplace, don't they? And how, it, and this could last for a long time. I'm not going to cooperate. I'll fix you. When that bell rings, I'm out of here. Whatever it is, it affects, and it could affect their family life as well. That's what I call the moral spiral. One issue leads to another. So let's get it right the first time. Don't let emotions dictate behavior. I know you're upset. I think we need to talk about this. How about we take 10 minutes, you get a cup of coffee, and I'll do some thinking, and why don't you come back and then let's think about it. You got to let logic take control of emotions. Frank, do you do emotional self-control training? Is that a training you do? I've had to do it in my family. Is something somebody could contract you for and say, hey, I'd love for you to come in and do emotional self-control training with my people? If there was an ultimate goal that it's linked to something like logic or discussion or verifiable communication or being more ready to communicate when we get rid of or downplay the emotional side of what the situation is. One of the things you just taught in the let's go get a cup of coffee example is with emotional self-control. A tactic is to hit the pause button. You used as an example, getting a coffee. Can you provide a few more tactics for emotional self-control that our entrepreneur listeners can immediately consider using today? Yeah, one thing I also preach and work on is maybe we need communal wisdom. So let's get somebody from a different division to come in and listen to both sides of where we're coming from. And maybe we're missing something that we need to think about that someone from a different division can come in and give us some new ideas. Will that work for you? That type of thing. Good. So we got some... pause, invite others into the conversation, which is a form of a pause, but you also get additional input. So I got those two. Do you have others? Yep. It could be 
let's go back and look at our values that our company really tries to stress. And between you and me, can we agree on which one we need to work on the most? Not just between you and me, but in the company as general. If I'm emotionally triggered at work, I got three things right now. One is figure out a way to hit the pause button so I can de-escalate my emotion. Uh, Number two is potentially say, hey, that sounds okay to me. I have other ideas. Others probably want to weigh in too, though. What do you say we pick this up with a few other people who may be involved in this decision? The third Mm -hmm. one I've got from you just now is, hey, why don't we take a look at our values or our mission statement or our vision? That may give us guidance on how to make this difficult decision. Yep. And I would add one more. Let's sleep on this. Go home, calm down, and let's meet tomorrow at nine o'clock in the morning and see where after we deal with our emotions, and they're not right or wrong, and I agree with you, there is something wrong here, but I think we need clear heads. Would that be okay if we had a cup of coffee in the morning and see if we can't take this to the next level to to fix whatever this situation is? I like that. And one that I have taught, and when you talk about teaching emotional self-control as you're talking, I'm going, I think we actually do teach some of it. Because another one that I've actually taught and used myself. Is there a consequence if we don't make this decision right now? And that's always consequence. Hit the pause button is we both go, you know what? Or just asking, do we have to make this decision right now? Is there any consequence if we don't? Can we revisit this? And that's one that helps me with the pause. And I've been in situations where the decision needs to be made in the next 15 minutes. Right. That does exist. Yep. It does exist. We still have to calm down. (laughs) Let emotions dictate behavior. Never, ever. Because emotions are temporary. And so will the decisions be made emotionally out of control. So it could be. Let's take a walk outside and or grab a cup and then let's come back in 10 minutes because we really need to come together on how we're going to handle this situation in our department. And I think we need to have clear heads about this and maybe something will come as we go outside or have a cup of coffee. And then let's come back in 10 minutes and let's share a few ideas. Excellent. Yeah, this is all tied really to a level of emotional intelligence, right? It's how do you diffuse the level of emotion? And I loved what you said about the moral spiral. The example Rich gave earlier is a very simple example, but you sometimes, as Rich said, you don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to go do something unethical today, but yeah. sometimes you get wrapped up in the emotion of something. Maybe somebody did something you don't like, so then you go to the water cooler and talk about them behind their back. And then next thing, things just spiral out of control. And so I love the idea that logic always, you always need to bring yourself back to a point of logic. And it goes back to what our parents used to teach us, roll your tongue seven times before you speak. Yeah. Uh, Take the time to really think through something before you do something, before you throw that rock. It's principles that we were taught at a very young age that sometimes when emotion comes in, you lose it. The other part of that is you're teaching that other person how to control their emotions and they don't know it yet. Because It's something they can use when they go home with their kids, with their spouse. Something goes wrong. Oh, 
Let's just take a break for five minutes and let's come back. Something that we could teach our people at work that they can use on the home front in their personal lives, et cetera. Because whoever teaches us emotional self-control, nobody, unless you go so, into counseling. I really like what you said earlier about emotions are temporary. And I'm in, in my words, what I'm hearing, emotions are temporary, so are emotional decisions. Cool. I love that. And then the emotions, when they're involved, it can lead to ethics getting compromised. So I totally get that, totally buy into that. So we have emotions is a trigger that may compromise ethics. Are there other triggers that you teach businesses to look out for as potential things that may compromise ethics? Make, making decisions too fast. Without, Speed decisions. Yeah, without consideration of cause and effect. Not only on them, but on who this decision is meant for. And I've seen that lots in corporate America. Okay, we have to decide right now which way we're going to go. Whoa, why did you wait so long You know, to make this decision? Now you're cornered. Now something has to, are you willing to pay the PTP price no matter what? the outcome is of that decision? If not, when in doubt, don't. That's another one of my phrases. When in doubt, don't. Go back to the drawing board. Go back to the team. Go back to the individual. Clarify. Use phrases like, if I'm understanding what you're saying this, please. And if I got the wrong impression, please let me know and clarify for me. No emotions just pure logic on helping me understand what you're telling me. People will take that as a compliment <laughs> rather than just jumping on a decision. So it's little things like that because there are consequences, can be pro or con, but always consequences, always a price to pay, can be good, can be bad, depending on how the individual handles the situation. So speed of decision-making really not thinking through all stakeholders involved and cause and effect on everybody, that can be a trigger to compromised ethics. Is Are there any others off the top of your head? Not only compromised, but it could be unethical. <laughs> now you're in a different ballpark because now you get in the legal aspects uh, of things. If it's unethical, is it illegal? Could be. But what if they're not? Now, what are you going to do with your values statements and your mission statement, knowing you made this great faux pas that now people have to live with that wasn't based on your values? I've seen that happen before. Mm -hmm. Easy to preach this stuff. Easy to preach values. Difficult to internalize and put them into action. That's the leader's job. Whatever level of management they're in, that's your job to help them curtail the emotion, focus on the objective and the tools by which to do it so that the emotions will say, that was a good experience. I like the way he handled it or she handled it. Because it, the bottom line is, it always revolves around someone's perception of their self-esteem and how they were treated. It's always self-esteem and how they were treated that psychologically will make a difference in the workplace. 
That's great. I know you had talked about the role of the leader in closing for our conversation today. Can you give one directive to all of the leaders who are on the podcast with us on what to do today to start right-sizing the values, morals, and ethics that are being exercised in their businesses? Yeah, there's one thing that I always preach, and it's a formula. Perceptions determine attitudes, and attitudes determine behavior. Perceptions are right no wrong, they just are. Whatever their perception is. I perceive that you're not doing your job properly, you're in the accounting, the numbers don't match, whatever. The key thing is we have to get beyond the perception to deal about the attitude of the workplace, self-esteem issues, how valuable someone is, the gift they bring to the table, so to speak, because that because attitudes will affect behavior. And people don't talk about perceptions a lot, but my perception of this department is that, 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 that. Now, did I get that wrong or am I on the right track? Because if I am, then we have to look at our attitudes and how we work with each other and how we support each other and how we can take this to the next level. And we only do that if we change our behavior and we act in synchrony to what the end goal is. Too often, we spend too much time on perceptions. You can't fight perceptions. It just is. But it's a basic point of dealing with people's attitudes. We can help people change their attitudes. If we do that, then behavior is a no-brainer. It happens automatically. And I think that's the three-section part, that triangle of that, that we need to deal with. And I think that's how you set your mind. The mindset comes from what's the perception, what's the attitude, what do we want in the behavior? The mindset. Then the skill set comes. Now, since we've agreed on that, let's look at the skills that we need to do to make this machine work or make this project go forward and fulfill our requirement of what we need to do by when. And it's simple when you think about it, but you know, ethics isn't that tough. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Thank you for the conversation today. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, guys. Great questions. I really appreciate it. Made me think a little bit more about what I need to be doing as well. So I had a great time. Thank you so much for the invite. Please stick around for a few more minutes while Rich and I break down this episode. John, emotions are temporary. So are emotional decisions. I'm not sure I have a dozen examples to throw at you of that being true, but I will tell you that really resonates with me as how important it is to diffuse our own emotions when they get overly involved in our decision-making. Yeah, not only that, is diffusing the emotions of others when you're involved in a healthy conversation, debate, or other. A lot of times, you may find yourself wondering why someone's so strongly opinionated on one side and they're so strong-willed on their position. Maybe they're dealing with a sense of emotion of some kind that you need to diffuse. And we talk through those strategies on how to pause or how to invite someone else into the room or go back to the values or mission statement of the company. Those things happen all the time. But there was something underlying in what he said that I really loved. I have to believe that you as well, Rich, have developed an incredible amount of emotional intelligence by watching others. 
the mentors around mm-hmm. you, the mentors that have led you in your business career, and seeing how they've acted in situations of pressure or emotion. Mm-hmm. That has really been, I'd say, a big result, I think, of how I've developed, I believe, the way that I handle myself in those situations is thinking about those leaders and how they've affected me in those ways. And this goes back to our business origins of what we call fundamental ability, which is the ability to regulate your mood. And since we were running painting businesses as young 20-somethings, we were taught things on how to regulate our own mood. And we were taught things about the importance of regulating your mood. And look, we were 21 years old selling paint jobs to people who were two and three times our age that sometimes were very opinionated or the crews that we brought on made mistakes and the homeowner was justifiably very angry and we had to hold our composure. So I wouldn't say we're, I wouldn't say I, and I'll speak for you. I wouldn't say you and I are experts at it, but I would say we're aware of it. We're practiced at it. We know what good looks like on our own behavior and others we also have done bad, but less of it because we know what good looks like. Yeah, absolutely. And I think ultimately the idea of when in doubt, don't to me probably needs to be the title of this episode, right? Because there's been so many times where I've bit my tongue, where I've decided not to do something. I really didn't have to do something in the moment and it just didn't feel right. I had some doubt. And those were probably the best decisions that I've ever made. And I think way too often, you know, we work with a lot of A-type personalities, maybe. We're always like, this is our opinion. This is what we want to do. Let's go. And we're trying to drive things too quick. We don't have the patient ambition to just be like, no, hold on a second. We don't have to make this decision right now. Or I don't have to debate you on this subject right now because you're too heated or I'm too heated. I'm in doubt right now. So just not right now. Let's take a pause on this one. And let's see if it's still the right rock to throw down the line. So I think that advice from Frank was very wise, which is if you have a doubt, any doubt at all, don't throw the rock, just wait. And you may wake up tomorrow morning and go, I can't even believe I was going to throw that rock. Look at all those things it would have caused. And way too often, I've gotten myself into trouble the opposite way by just grabbing the rock off the desk and throwing it and being like, oh boy, here it comes. And I'm ready for it, but it shouldn't have been necessary in the first place. I really like what we distilled with him on what you called transparency. And I called, because it's a phrase that we use in our business, which is that we do leadership, we say, we'll do leadership with people, not to people. What that means is that if I am going to lead you or coach you in a certain direction, I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm doing. So, hey, here's what that may look like. Hey, John. I want to work with you to find out what exactly your pain point is around your financials. So that will motivate you to make a necessary change. And if we can't find a pain point that hurts enough, I think we should probably just scrap the conversation about financials. So in that, I'm telling you, I'm looking for a pain point. I'm trying to get you on side with me so that we together now can explore where is there a pain point, which is very different than somebody's, do you like having really low profit? How does that serve your family? That's almost sarcastic now versus 
I could ask those really direct questions with no sarcasm if you knew what I was doing, if I brought you into the process that I'm doing with you, not to you. And I said, we're both looking for this. How do you feel about having such low profit? Now this is actually a question that we can engage in. You don't have to wonder, where am I going and are you being manipulated? I think that line, even in that little sales example of the $100 to 115 or 85 you'd never tell that customer, so it looks like you can afford it, I'll charge you 115 If you would never tell the customer that, what you're doing it to them, and you're probably on the wrong side of it. When yeah. we can do things with the people who yep. we work with and lead, we're on the right side of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the key that I gathered from this conversation. And I brought up the book Speed of Trust. Whether it be your employees, your partners, your vendors, your customers, it doesn't really matter. If you, Even family members. If you can be as transparent as you feel, be your true self in all times, everywhere, you must be doing the right thing. But if you can't be transparent, for whatever reason, you're not being true. And so transparency to me is a huge key to speed of trust within organizations And it's something that leaders must demonstrate. Like, I love what he talked about in terms of, look, you have values, but are the leaders demonstrating those values? Are they demonstrating those morals? Or is it just, no, those are posters for you. I don't have to do that. And I've been involved in those situations too, by the way. And I know you have, where the core values of the organization weren't even displayed by the leaders of the organization. It never works. That's not transparent. I'd love to share with you something I learned about transparency, gosh, as recently as a year and a half or two years ago. I formerly thought transparency was full transparency at all times with all people. And what I've come to learn is that there's an audience-specific transparency that actually serves who you're with. So what I mean by that is it's okay to say, you know, I do know the answer to that, but I'm not comfortable sharing with you. That's being transparent. You don't have to share things that are very private or very personal or an HR issue, or you don't have to share those things. But transparency included, transparency is not telling everybody everything at all times. It is audience specific and it does include, if that's an area where I'm not comfortable talking about with you and you will learn when the time is right. And I'm not sure exactly when that'll be. That's being transparent. Absolutely. And it goes back to, as well, in building trust and relationships, answering truthfully. So to me, whether you're the mechanic in this example or the sales rep in this example, if you can answer truthfully a question that's being answered to you and not avoid or lie, you're probably on the right side.